Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group, our roundtable mental health matters with our partner, NAMI, Costa Contra Costa. Today is Saturday, August 6, 2022. August is National Wellness Month. You've heard our host, Cliff Kelly, during the break. I'm Sean Claiborne, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have our partner on the line, Gigi Crowder. She's the executive director of NAMI Contra Costa in California. NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness an advocacy group founded by family members of people with mental illness. And we're going to talk about the new implementation of 988, the hotline that is there to help people who need mental health support, to need to talk to somebody. You can call 988 now to be able to get some kind of person on the phone who can talk to you about any mental health crisis as you're going through. How are you doing, Gigi? I'm great. How are you? Pretty good. Wonderful. So what can you tell us about how this is being rolled out? So July 16th, things went live from what we understand. So what's going on with 988 and how is it helping people across the country? Well, you know, basically this is replacing the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which was 10 digits and pretty difficult for individuals to remember. Hmm. So now when a person dials 988, it will take them directly to crisis counselors. And uh, it's kind of rolling out differently across the nation, depending on the contracts the state or the municipalities have with the 988 um, vendors. But it's, it's wonderful to have a suicide prevention and mental health crisis counselors available to talk to people when they're in that place where they need support. Hmm. So was the old hotline defunct now or is it or is it routing the calls to 988? So if you call the old number, what happens? It would route the numbers to 988. You can either speak live or you can uh, use that number for text messaging as well. And that's the thing I think is really uh, cool. And I'm not sure if that happened on the old number, but being able to text somebody if you're having a crisis or having want to talk to someone, you can you can actually do a text as opposed to talking to them. Yeah, the chat lines and the text messaging are really available for individuals that don't necessarily want to expose themselves as easily. Mm. And they might just be a little bit more, you know, timid about uh, live voice. Uh, often when individuals use the chat lines, the trained counselors will ask them once there's been a level of comfort reached if they would like to talk one on one because sometimes. Um, it's not as intimate when it's a text, but mm. younger generations prefer texting over live calls. So it's great to have both options available. And do you know how it's been received so far? How has 988 been launched? Was it was it launched smooth? Was there challenges? Well, so far, the, the I, I was on a national call about it, and um, the number has generated a lot of attention. Most news media have picked it up, and it's doing exactly what, you know, it's was designed to do. Uh, for ease, law enforcement 
officers are now able to offer that to individuals as well. Instead of uh, being the first responders, they can now say, it sounds like you would benefit from calling this number. It's, it's such so much easier than the 10-digit number. And then we're finding, because of COVID, that many people just want a place to talk. So mm-hmm. it, it's been received well, and there has been an increase in, in activity on that line now that it's easier to remember. I think that's so important. People are calling this a game changer as far as how having this hotline. I'm not sure if other countries around the world do things similar to this, but they say it's a game changer in that it can it can really reduce a lot of the violent crime and things and a lot of the police shootings. There's something like 20 percent. It was uh, Benjamin Miller that had done a study. He's a psychologist. Uh, he was on NPR and he did a study uh, and he created a foundation called Wellbeing Trust. And he reported that 20 percent of police uh, officers or, or the, the police are responding to their police calls, 20% of it is because of mental health issues. It's not yeah, even something we, like violent or somebody's breaking in. It's a mental health issue that could be, should be, could be solved by a counselor. Right. And that's regional as well. So in some jurisdictions, it's even higher. I know when we did recent work in the county I reside in, it was 33% of the phone calls for um, do 911 were for a potential 5150, meaning that the person calling assumed it was going to be a mental health crisis. And it's such, uh, it's also not a great way to manage resources when you need law enforcement for other activities, because when they were showing up, only about 35% of the time did it warrant a 5150, meaning the person was a danger to themselves, others are gravely disabled. So this allows for someone to do a little bit more triage, and and because they're trained professionals, it will give individuals an opportunity to make a more better, a better assessment of what the true need is. And they're talking about twenty five percent of police shootings have to do yeah. with or centered around mental health issues and people that could have yeah. been helped. You know. Yeah, and so you may be familiar, and how I get introduced to your program was in California. We're still waiting for the governor to sign Assembly Bill 988, which is also called the Miles Hall Lifeline and Suicide Prevention Act. And that would be a a replacement of law enforcement response. So that's a non-police response that we hope will be, you know, around the clock. And it would include mobile crisis teams, staff by trained mental health professional, peers. That means people who live with mental illness. And family members, and then we would only call on law enforcement if it weren't such high-level support. Hmm. So when a person calls 988, what can they expect, um, especially when it comes to privacy and things like that? What, so a person may be on the fence. Maybe they don't – they just, just don't – and I think also, too, a lot of people have the – have a they don't want to admit that they have a mental health issue. Exactly, and they may not. Because not everyone who's in crisis have a long-term, you know, diagnosed mental illness. A lot of individuals is situational, you know, loss of job, maybe a death, and they have this feelings of hopelessness. It doesn't mean that they're, they have a diagnosis of a mental illness, but when they are able to talk it through with someone, that's really important instead of, uh, using an approach where you only have to call law enforcement when you're in crisis like that Mm. to have a counselor be readily available is what we were all hoping for. And so once a person calls that number, the local jurisdiction that picks up the number will take the call. And then if 
they feel like the person needs a mobile crisis response team, you know, someone to come out from their behavioral health department, then they'll have that person talk to someone there, or they'll refer it to a NAMI and say, sounds like this individual doesn't have an immediate need for support. They're not currently experiencing, so they might just need some resources. So when you encounter or get the call, how do you respond to people with mental health issues when you're involved? What do you do to help them? Well, one of the first things is just kind of go through how they're feeling right now. Sometimes it's because an individual is starting to feel some of the symptoms of their illness. They may live with schizophrenia and they're starting to get some of the symptoms of being paranoid. And sometimes it's as easily easy as suggesting they go get their medication filled because it will alleviate some of the symptoms. Sometimes we do need to tell them that they need to, you know, go into the emergency room and you can, we, we are so focused on um, involuntary uh, commitments, but there's also individuals who can voluntarily go into the psych emergency services when they're in distress. It doesn't happen often that a person recognizes when they need that, but when they do, we support them to get there. We might ask them if there's anyone in their family or a friend that we could talk to to help them with getting there. But um, mostly we're giving out resources and suggesting tools that the individuals could use to de-escalate any situation they may be in. One thing I appreciate is I'm starting to see like on on social media, but also in this regular like primetime television commercials even. I mean, you have athletes stepping out, um, professional athletes uh, like Simone Biles, for example, the gymnast. Um, you had the um, swimmer, um, Phelps, Michael Phelps, who actually came out and said, you know, yeah, yeah, I actually get counseling because of what's going on in my head. You know, people stepping, uh, 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 speaking up and saying, hey, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. It's okay to talk about it and encouraging people to get counseling, get real professional help to try to solve some of these issues that might be going on in their mind. And just like any part of your body, like you have, if you have a, a sore muscle in your arm or if you have a sore leg, you go to see somebody to get it, get treatment. It's, we have to do the same thing and also really understand and learn about mental health because health is not just in your in your body but also in your mind. Exactly. It has really benefited individuals for, you know, well-known figures to help people understand that it's a medical condition and that it could impact Anyone has nothing to do with intelligence or weak character. It's all about what's happening in the individual's brain. And so reducing the stigma by educating people about what mental is, but just as important what it's not, has really helped us get more conversations about mental health and wellness and what a person might need to have in place to be able to live a better quality of life despite living with a diagnosed mental illness. And one of the things also that seems to be coming up more and more um, in our lexicon and our language about mental health is PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, exactly. So that being said, um, how do people recognize, because it seems like we're, we're getting to the point where we're realizing that it's more widespread than what we gave it credit for in the beginning. Like it's not just a military thing, it's actually a civilian thing as well. People that live in violent neighborhoods are, are being diagnosed this way. Um, how do we recognize that in our culture, and, um, and what are some of the signs and symptoms that you want to advise people if they're starting to if they starting to feel a certain way or behave a certain way that they may need to talk to somebody about it? 
Well, I mean, uh, recently because of COVID, I think if we're being honest, all of us are living with a level of PTSD. We went through a really traumatic time where we were not certain about what our future was going to look like. And so that put us in a place of, especially during the sheltering in place periods, that put us in a place of depression and anxiety. And so some people have better coping skills than others, so they've been able to pull themselves out of it. Many people that I speak to, uh, and even these are close friends that don't have a diagnosis of a mental illness, are pretty honest about the fact that they're still not so much worried about death because of COVID, but worried about other things that are uh, secondary to the physical parts. And so we have people who are not as conscientious about their weight, not, you know, they're, they're eating more than they would. They're not sleeping well. They're spending more money than they should. So some of the symptoms that you see with PTSD are now more prevalent for everyday citizens who are trying to readjust because some of the protective factors that they had in place, some of the routines have been disrupted and finding their way back to what they defined as normal for them has been difficult for a lot of individuals because of that period of time when they were, you know, not certain about their future. And so that's pretty common that um, we now understand that it's not just military vets, but it's also individuals who have been exposed to Violence, um, not 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 even necessarily that the act took place, but the threat of violence. So, mm. COVID has given us an opportunity to just talk more about PTSD and how it presents for individuals. So, what are some strategies that people can use every day? So, people that live in stressful situations, people that, um, or maybe they had a, a life changing event that maybe might pose um, a, a risk to mental health. What are some things you can do, like maybe exercise or meditation? I mean, what are what types of things can we get into our routine every day to improve our mental health? Well, you know, we have embraced in, in the last couple of decades mindfulness practices. It's individualized for each individual. But we know that some people talking with others who they feel like they can um, trust is really important. Uh, we as a community of individuals probably don't breathe enough intentionally and we don't breathe deep enough. So we tend to stay in the flight or fight or flight part of breathing. And we need to really be intentional about going deeper with deeper breaths so that we can, you know, get the chemicals in our bodies flowing and be in a more calm space. Some people benefit from walk, some people from yoga, some people from prayer, some people from meditation. It's all individualized. Um, What we don't want to do is self-medicate, and we're seeing a lot of that taking place. And sadly, a lot more veterans. Um, We work closely at NAMI Contra Costa County with the Veteran Center, and they've reported individuals who have been clean and sober for a long period of time have had some um, relapse because of um, the uncertainty and the kind of enhanced um, symptoms of um, managing PTSD that they may have had before. 
So now you touched on my next question, which was uh, my curiosity was, is that um, we had a couple of high profile things happen in the media where we have an athlete and in, um, in Russia who's had some uh, uh, some cannabis or cannabis oil or, or in her possession. And now she's going to get nine years in prison. So we talk about self-medication. Does is there an abuse? Have you ever seen an abuse of marijuana or CBD or any of these types of uh, um, um, cannabis based <laughs> Uh, uh, medicines and treatments is that something that could be abused or is that something that yeah. is helpful most definitely it is uh, widely documented for individuals who have who live with mental illness already and the brain developing um if you're under the age of 30 you likely are not going to get positive outcomes from smoking marijuana so all really? over no wow. anyone who's marijuana and think it's medicinal, not for a brain that has already been impacted and could have some mental illness is only going to exacerbate. So what mm-hmm. we're seeing in, in psych emergency um, services all over the country is young people showing up with what we call drug-induced psychosis, and it's usually from the THC. Wow. It has It's not, I guess, the same marijuana that people used to use back in the 60s and 70s. You don't know what's in it. There's also fentanyl, a crisis around overdosing there. And so a lot of young people, sadly, have lost their lives through taking um, what they thought was just marijuana, and it's been laced with something. And uh, it's, it's it's been horrible, actually, the death toll of young and some older individuals who have overdosed has really risen in the last two to three years. It was on the rise, and then COVID actually caused a suicidal um, ideation in individuals, and so we're deeming it as an accidental overdose, hmm. but kind of like if you're taking something you shouldn't be taking, then you gotta, you know, they don't necessarily leave a note, but when their autopsy takes place, um, fentanyl and some other deadly uh, chemicals are found in their body. Wow. So it means like it's really important to really see a doctor before you start putting stuff in your body. Just make sure you get, you know, as a pharmacist or a, or a prescription for what you're trying to do to help yourself feel better. Don't start taking stuff on your own because then, man, I mean, I had no idea that people would go in psychosis before taking, you know, weed or, for, you know, in certain cases. Oh, yeah. A lot illness. of Yeah, a lot of individuals don't know they live with mental illness also, and so they self-medicate with alcohol, marijuana, pills, not knowing that it's causing more damage because their brains are already kind of compromised by the illness. And then you take this other substance and you're wondering how come, you know, you're not feeling any better and your symptoms are, are more pronounced at that point. So we, we really have to do better messaging around that, especially for individuals under the age 30. Those of us in the field have always known that, but we have not done the best job of letting, you know, individuals, you know, mm. in the broader community know if you're under 30, you probably should not be smoking pot if you have been diagnosed with a mental illness. Wow. That's good information. So what do you like to see happen next? So 988, it seems like, like I said, it seems like a groundbreaking thing, a game changer in mental health. What's the next thing we could be doing in the industry? Well, I mean, you know, 988 is a place for you to talk to someone if you're having a difficult time. We in California are pushing for 
AB 988, which would mandate that if a person calls that number and they're having a a mental health emergency, they would get a non-police response. As you quoted, uh, law enforcement is spending a lot of time responding to 5150 calls, and they're not the best suited individuals to actually determine the next course of treatment. So if we can get non-police response across the nation and have an opportunity for us to um, produce better outcomes, I mean, sadly, 25% of all officer-involved shootings are from individuals who live with a mental illness. So if we take police officers out of the equation of response and only use them when it's indicated we need them, when there's imminent danger, the person has a firearm or some kind of deadly weapon, yeah, we'll probably always need law enforcement. But for right now, if we can get a non-police response for those in mental health emergencies, that would be the the natural next step for 988 across the nation. And how close do you see yourself or do you see California getting to that point to get that passed? Well, we went and I happened to be one of the individuals who had an opportunity to testify um, in front of the Senate. And so the Senate um, passed it through. It goes back to the assembly. There were some changes that the behavioral health care directors for the state of California wanted to change um, more around power and who gets to do what. <laughs> but um, but if we if we get it signed, then we're hoping to get it signed before September, which is Suicide Prevention Month then we'll be a good place. Um, each of the uh, counties will have an opportunity to decide how they want to fund it and how they prioritize their fundings. In Contra Costa County, they've hired, um, they've gotten $20 million to start hiring and positioning themselves to be better um, positioned to have a program they're calling the Anyone, Anyplace, Anytime. So the A3 program and the Miles Hall crisis line. So a person will call 988, that would be the crisis line. They'd have an opportunity to get a, a, a family member, if that was the level that they needed, a peer, meaning someone with mental illness, or a counselor, a trained, licensed clinical social worker. And then in one of the uh, approaches is to go straight to the EMT because ultimately, when a person is 5150, it's an ambulance that takes them to the hospital setting. So sometimes you can cut out the police and just go straight to the social worker working with the EMT workers. Hmm. My last question is, because uh, you mentioned this, and I, and I want to get clarification as to what this means. I think people have different definitions of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. What is mindfulness? In a simple definition is staying in the present. Mm. Figuring, using the tools you need to be presently centered. So exercises that allow you to do that. So some of it might include breathing for some individuals. Some of it may include meditation, but just being mindful of today and not looking toward the past or the future. Hmm, that sounds like it might be really healthy to do. <laughs> yeah, I think most of us would benefit. That's probably most of our anxiety comes from either something happened in the past or that we're worried about the future, basically, for most of the Yeah. <laughs> so that's, pretty, that's, that's a good definition. I like it. 
Um, so what else do you need to tell us about 988? What else can we look forward to um, with this? And then you see it's, it seems like it's a big success right now as it's being rolled out or has it after its launch, which was July 16th. So what do we, what yeah, do we I think, need to know? I think it's really important if you have someone who you know that struggles with mental health or a family that's often only calling 911, that now they have another option. And with 988 in most um jurisdictions, they do provide individuals with additional resources so that when they hang up the phone, you're not out there alone scrambling. I think 988 is, for us at NAMI, it's how a lot of new family members who are struggling with how to support their loved one who's living with mental illness are now finding out about the great resources that we have available, our our educational courses, our um our advocacy when they need support if they have a loved one in the system for those who are incarcerated. I think it's going to save lives and it's going to aid us in not criminalizing mental illness. I think that's so important. I mean, and like I said, I have, we have a lot of hope and a lot of a uh, lot of uh, promise in this new hotline that's come out. Nine eight eight, I think, will be a, will be a game changer. And I agree with everything you've mentioned. Um, we need to get more on top of this. And if you have anybody out there listening that need some help, need to really start to communicate their problems, things that they're thinking about, whether something that happened to them, what experience they've been through, call 988, get help, reach out to NAMI Contra Costa or any place that you can get some counseling. Gigi Crowder, we appreciate you and your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.